Hello, and welcome to The Stakes After Dark. I'm Holly Anderson, MTV's Director of Politics and News. For the next four nights, we're going to be taking a nightly look at the organizational clusterfuckery mixed with soul-crushing boredom, mixed with rhetorical grave robbing that is the Republican National Convention in scenic Cleveland, Ohio. We sent some of our best and brightest out into the field, and we'll be checking in with them a little later on. First, I'm joined here tonight in our New York City studio by my deputy editor, Julianne Ross. Hello. Along with MTV's Jane Coaston. Hello. And Jamie Fuller. Hi, everyone. Let's get into it. Our target audience here at MTV doesn't care about the conventions. Demographically, I mean. It's hard to get worked up about these events. They're largely blue hair affairs and don't generally do a whole lot on either side of the aisle to speak to young people. But this one was supposed to be different for a couple reasons worth paying attention to. While the powers that be outside the hall were preparing to be disrupted by opponents of the Republican Party, the governing forces inside it were stealing themselves for unrest from the ranks of the GOP itself. It's maybe a fitting motif for the culmination of a primary campaign that has so divided the party, but on Monday at least, no insurgents on either side of those doors came away with all that much to show for it. The atmosphere surrounding the queue, by all reports, including those of our own reporters, was pretty subdued today compared to what had been expected and what had been feared. We didn't hear, and our team on the ground didn't see any reports of major scuffles between protesters and counter-protesters, or between either of those groups and law enforcement. Efforts on the convention floor to derail the nomination of Donald Trump were shut down, though we did get the entertainment of seeing words like quashed used on cable news. The speechifying ran until near midnight Eastern time, by the end of which what remained of the crowd was so tired they couldn't even get a good USA chant going. And in that, brothers and sisters, friends and neighbors, we sympathize with them. So, conventions are traditionally these hidebound, self-serving affairs. They're debutante balls where nobody knows how to dress. I don't think we saw a lot today, and I doubt we'll see much next week to disabuse us of that notion. So let's start with a broad question. What did we learn tonight? Jane? Well, we learned, though, as you mentioned, they weren't as strong as I'm sure they hoped. The Never Trump movement still exists. We had at least nine states saying that they wanted a roll call vote coming to the floor to discuss whether or not Donald Trump should be the nominee. And you had the extremely awkward scene of people chanting either, let us vote, or we want Trump, or USA. Though it was really hard to say. And Reince Priebus looking extremely uncomfortable. And our friends in the RNC house band trying to just shuffle through it all. My favorite moment of that chanting was the moment where the We Want Trump chants started to kind of elide with the other chants to where I thought they were chanting Emotep, as in the central <laughs> character of The Mummy starring Brendan Fraser. And I believe that there's somebody in this room who has a lot to say about that film. <laughs> I have nothing to say about that film. I saw it recently. Uh, and realized how bad it was. But I did notice that another person who spoke uh, on Monday evening also had some mummy characteristics. Rudy Giuliani was really feeling it. And there was one moment where he had his hands out and his mouth was open wide. And it was very much a emotep 
becoming an actual person having locust fly out of his mouth moment. In this, we have something in common because I, too, feel like I've had my brains yanked out of my nostrils with hooks. So, you know, we've, we've got that. We've got that little moment of togetherness. Julie, over to you. What did you learn today? First of all, I love The Mummy, and I don't really want to associate a film that is so close to my heart with the Republican National Convention. So I'm just going to erase this portion of the conversation from my memory. <laughs> can I ask, can we unpack this a little bit? What are your mm-hmm. feelings on The Rock as the Scorpion King as Mummy canon? Um, no, it's it's only the original Brendan Fraser trilogy. Okay, And, my- and not the original Boris Karloff, like only... Brendan Fraser. And specifically the first film is this the is only the, one. The Mummy the Returns time. is a poor substitute. It is a paper tiger of the genre. I'm, I'm not even being ironic, though. I really love this movie. In my OkCupid okay profile for many years, I had it listed that, like, in my movie section, it was just The Mummy. But I know we just need to acknowledge for a moment that this is probably the first time in history that someone has said that Brendan Fraser is a better leading man than The Rock. Or okay. Boris Karloff. Okay, okay. No, 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 no. That is not what I said. You're putting words in my <laughs> mouth, Moose Fuller. I'm just... Uh, no, no, no. The Rock is clearly a better leading man than anyone, or anyone on the stage tonight, for that matter. But Or the stage itself. Or that entire arena. I dug the Starship Troopers motif. I think that service guarantees citizenship would be a fine theme for this campaign for several reasons that no one would find flattering. It's so funny to me that we're talking about movies now because the thing that I learned tonight that I wanted to talk about, and I haven't really sat down and watched one of these this closely before, um, was just how staged and how theatrical this was. Like Trump coming out to this Queen song and like just his silhouette on that background and all these lights and just every speaker having literally the exact same talking points and just like they're reading a script and it's like okay now we we have to mention Hillary like X number of times we have to mention Benghazi we have to mention Blue Lives Matter like they just have all these talking points and are all speaking from a script and it just it felt it felt so staged and inauthentic and people talk about like authenticity and outsider candidates in politics a lot and i think when you watch one of these events at least in 2016 it is just like it feels entirely fake it's hard to for me at least it's hard to feel like excited or hopeful about the state of politics when you look at an event like this where it's so disingenuous i think the kind of conversations that were being had well i don't think that's unique but I want to follow up. The one thing that I learned going off of how you don't feel hopeful is it became increasingly, I wouldn't say it became clear. We've known this for a while, but this is an election where everyone feels like they need to get their base to feel like they're voting against something. And you're not voting for a certain picture of the future. You're just trying to prevent another picture of the future becoming true. And that became like very clear tonight that the first moment that the Republican Party has to provide a picture of its view of the world that is beyond Trump. And it's completely just trying to protect the country from an enemy, which became clear was Hillary Clinton foremost, more than ISIS, more than immigrants, more than any of the other enemies they mentioned, because she is the person who's going to let all these enemies come in. And it's just uh, depressing to know that the same thing's going to happen next week. We're going to have a party that's going to be stop saying that we need to protect America from this major enemy, Donald Trump. And it's like, well, you already have two of the most disliked candidates in history. And 
you're just giving people more reasons to dislike them and not giving them any bigger picture to feel hopeful about. And that doesn't make you feel good in an election year where we're all kind of feeling pretty blue anyway. Well, I was pretty entertained, though, um, by, you know, thinking about celebrity candidate. Um, You know, four years ago, you had Clint Eastwood yelling at a chair. And this year you had Scott Bayo. Which I joked on Twitter, you know, I want to read the explainer of who the fuck is Scott Bayo, And the number of people who replied, like, I have no idea who Scott Bayo is. And it's just, it's very entertaining how um, the Republican Party has really, you know, it hasn't really had that much celebrity cachet besides, like, John Voight. And even John Voight is Gary like... Gary Oldman. Eh, and they're both like, eh, I'm very busy today. Well, the great thing about uh, having discussions about Scott Baio and who he is is you can respond, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, what? And it's yeah. like, blah, blah, blah. And it's <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> great that was just topical reference. That was the most topical reference pulled by anyone on the convention tonight. And that, that reference is what now? About 10 years old? old. Yeah. 10 yeah. years old or so? It's funny. I was about to go and we were writing a script for our robot panel and Mark Lasanti and I were saying, oh, Scott Bayo, ask your parents. And then we realized, no, ask your grandparents. Shit. Yeah. Because, like, Joni loves Chachi. That's like, wow, okay, yeah, that's, yeah, no. that would That's not going to work for anyone under the age of 35, maybe, 40 at least. I guess the crushing awareness of our own mortality is as good a place to wrap up for tonight as any. Uh, We're going to go now to Cleveland, where in addition to the four of us in this room, MTV News has a crackerjack team of reporters out on the scene of the convention floor itself. They'll be checking in with us all week, and tonight we're going to hear senior political correspondent Anna Marie Cox speaking to a member of the Texas delegation about his concern that the GOP isn't being seen as the party of love. All right, so it is the Law and Order Day here at the convention, and so I'm wondering, what are you scared of? Well, my greatest fear is that scene on Zootopia when the rabbit gets up in front of the press and she's she's meaning well, but she just starts to say bad things. You know, the wrong words come out. Uh-huh. And so at this moment, talking to you, I'm just like, ah! <laughs> I hope I say the right things, you know, and, you know, intentions coming across correctly. But um, as far as fears, generally speaking, for the convention, my greatest fear is that that we would misrepresent a culture of love. In the Texas delegation earlier today, uh, one of the leaders gave a story about this lady who she was she was in a. I think it was a bar w- behind these two people who were talking about the Republican Party, and they were they're talking very negatively. And she went went up and paid for their meal for them. And they said, because of what you just did, you changed our opinion about Republicans. And I was like, that, yeah, that's that's what it's about, and that's 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 what I want for this convention. And my I guess my greatest fear is that we would not do that well. I'm just going to be frank with you. I think that is a well-founded fear. <laughs> I think that the party is coming up against, you know, some stereotypes, but also some some actual, you know, words and actions that don't send a message of love, let's say. 
you know, the Republican Party platform this year is very conservative. Is there something that you would say to someone who said who, if they look at that platform and see that it is, you know, anti-marriage equality, they see that it is very pro-border uh, security, let's say, what would you say to those people to say, no, this really is a party of, of love? Um, it depends on the person a lot. You, you can have disagreements and, and still love people. And that's, that's what this, the platform is about policy. And, and it's, not, it's not making statements about specific people or specific groups of people. It's uh, what we think laws should be. And so I, I really like how the platform has turned out this year so far. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of, a lot of people take it personally and they think because you, we disagree on marriage equality, for example, the Republicans must hate the other side. And that's not the issue at all. You know, Trump, I don't think, has been a very loving presence in, in the campaign. I mean, I think it's safe to say that his message, no matter what you think of his policies, the way he presents himself, the way he talks about people, is a pretty abrasive kind of personality. What are your hopes and or fears for how that might change? Do you think it'll change? I think it will. Uh, I pray for Trump. I felt God tell me one day in, in my heart just to lift him up in prayer because he, he does do a lot of things that I think are inflammatory. And I'm so happy with his pick for VP. Mike Pence is a rock solid, just boring individual. And Trump is the exact opposite. He's crazy. And, and the American people have said, we live in crazy times and we need a little bit of crazy. So we elect him in the primary and then the American people kind of in polls are going, well, maybe not too much crazy. And so I think, I think it was brilliant that he picked Mike Pence. It shows that not only is he slightly crazy, but he also has wisdom. From all of us here at MTV News, thanks for listening. We'll be back again tomorrow night with more updates from the convention floor in Cleveland and our orbital view here in New York. Good night. Good morning. We pray for the sweet, sweet release of the grave. <laughs>